0: This week, in the parish of bourses and market structure, $7.2 million for Eris, the FTC still says no to Ice Black Night, and Sesame Street does financial meltdown. This week's letter for bust banks is S. My name is Patrick L. Young. Welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast, episode 185. a $7.2 million funding package from entities already trading their yield curve products. The FTC says no, but seems to have ignored this week's divestiture, as a four-man panel with three Democrats raised a lot of questions in the political arena alone from this most ideologically fixated of US presidencies. Ice Black Knight feels sufficiently wronged that they seek to fight on. Meanwhile, in BitCarnage this week, you can catch all the coverage of the end of Crypto Version 1.0 as it approaches its denouement in Exchange Invest Newsletter Daily. The new new bank run ended the old-fashioned way. The BitCarnage corporate body count of last week was predominantly centred around banks, and indeed, it sounded like Sesame Street Does Bank collapses with all three of them beginning with the letter S. Silvergate Bank, the crypto bank, Silicon Valley Bank, which was more a startup thing and Signature Bank, which also closed down last week, which was kind of more of a crypto thing as well. As I mentioned, apart from feeling like Sesame Street does bank collapses, all three had a lot of deposits. In the case of crypto companies and or startups, they had customer bases it was difficult to lend to, crypto companies or startups, and during the QE low rate frenzy they bought bonds and stuff which wasn't negative yield. Unfortunately, when interest rates rose, this drove ugly capital losses. Thus, while there may be other banks which have bond losses to eat, it's unlikely they've done so on such a widespread basis that it will provoke their demise. Anyway, this was all a mere warm-up for the story of the week. SEC Chair Gary Gensler writing an op-ed in The Hill, getting crypto firms to do their work within the bounds of the law. First of all, that's a very interesting place to write this. It wasn't in the Wall Street Journal. It wasn't even in the New York Times. It was in The Hill, the magazine for Washington, D.C., and indeed i quote gasserjee noted crypto intermediaries should structure their businesses to comply with our laws governing securities exchanges broker dealers and clearing houses they could put into place rule books that protect against fraud and manipulation crypto security issuers should file registration statements and make the required disclosures these are the same rules that everyone else in the securities markets has played by for decades i find Gazagy goes on, the talking point that there's a lack of clarity in the securities laws unpersuasive. Some crypto companies might message that the laws are unclear rather than admitting that their platforms don't have sufficient investor protection. In essence, I think it's fair to say that Gazagy has walked up to the crypto industry and cried blood, blood, blood. Elsewhere in the one might call it, Legacy Parish of Exchanges. Elliot's case against the LME will be heard in London during the week of June the 19th. That's very interesting. Silence so far from the LME on this. But the court case is going to be scheduled for the same week as FIA's London conference. Meanwhile, massive expansion in Hong Kong. Overseas firms in Stock Connect. That's a major game changer. And in fact, therefore, that's kicking off at the start of the week and is even by the standards of the Stock Connect initiative which EI has long supported despite what was initial local media scepticism. A terrific expansion of the Stock Connect programme with international companies that are primarily listed on Hong Kong's market now available to be included in Stock Connect's southbound trading. A huge opportunity for mainland investors to diversify in the breadth of the Hong Kong market and indeed for Hong Kong exchange listings. To access the vast pool of Chinese capital. It's one of those just-a-touch seismic things that presumably helped explain the swagger and the step of Hong Kong Exchanges CEO Nicholas aguson as he was playing an active role at the Boca Raton conference over the course of the past week. What an excellent initiative. More indeed on Stock Connect developments because there was also an expansion in the number of days you can trade. Hong Kong Exchanges and the Chinese mainland have managed to smooth out a lot of the settlement arrangements. Thus, when a holiday arises, essentially, Stock Connect will be open when both markets are open, as opposed to the previous status quo, which had a tendency to suspend Stock Connect trading one or two days prior to a holiday in either marketplace. That's certainly something that's going to be benefiting the Stock Connect program into the future. Results this week? Well, I think the most exciting sets of results we had were perhaps Bolsa y Mercados Argentinos. Their quarter four results were spectacular. Revenues up 83.5%, no less. At the same time, solid results from six. Slight falling off in terms of the operating income, 0.3%. But the overall group net profit came in at 185 million Swiss francs. Resilient Exchange of the Week, Moscow Exchanges, their Q4 earnings, they were somewhat rebounding. Net profits up 29.2%, hashtag despite Mad Vlad. While currently isolated from the rest of the parish due to understandable sanctions provoked by Russia's dumb invasion of Ukraine, the MOEX continues to demonstrate indomitable flexibility and a desire to survive and thrive. New markets this week. Two interesting pointers to bear in mind. North Macedonia will be launching its power exchange in May. And in Egypt, the FRA, they've made legal amendments to establish the futures exchange of Egypt. In deals this week, it was a busy week for deals in the parish. All the deals were in exchange invest daily. The newsletter no person can afford to be without in capital markets and market structure. For the sake of this podcast, looking at some edited highlights, well, there was one really, really major story this week. Black Knight, they came in, they sold a unit to address the FTC concerns on the ICE deal, but that wasn't enough for the FTC, provoking some well, relatively frustrated comments from the Intercontinental Exchange, and I quote, Although ICE strongly believes that acquiring Black Knight is entirely pro-competitive, ICE and Black Knight previously announced an agreement to sell Black Knight's Empower Loan Origination System, LOS, business, including its exchange, lending space and Aiva solutions to a subsidiary of Constellation Software Inc. in connection with efforts to secure clearance of ICE's proposed acquisition of Black Knight under the Hart-Scott-Rodino Act. The FTC's attempt to block the combination despite this divestiture remedy is without merit and serves only to delay improving the experience and outcomes for all participants in the mortgage industry. Ah, the joys of the blob, I have to say. The FTC had signalled it would move on Thursday, and so it did last week, albeit without, it appears, having paid any attention to the considerable divestiture made earlier in the week by the merging parties. Such is the wondrous way the blob greets tax dollars with a self-righteous contempt for the folks whose hard-earned is being spent. Over at Blackstone Thompson Reuters Refinitive LSEG. Blackstone Thompson Reuters, they're launching a sale of a $2 billion LSEG stake. And at the same time, Eris Innovations have announced a strategic. Strategic Investment Round to capitalise on new margin treatment in their business. Each of the investors in the $7.2 million strategic investment round is affiliated with companies that trade Eris Software, including DV Trading, DRW, Virtu Financial, Arb Trading Group and Arc Light Securities. As part of that deal, Jared Vigossen, the co-founder of DV Trading, has joined the Eris Innovations Board of Directors. If you're looking for some reading, of course, at this point in time in the cycle, trying to understand the future of markets, technology, finance, it all, victory or death, blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the fintech world is my most recent book. Twenty plus years on from the capital market revolution Victory or death is published by dv books and is distributed by ingram worldwide while you're waiting for your copy of victory or death to arrive check out our live stream tuesday 6 p.m london 1 p.m new york time it's the ipo video live show catch the back episodes on linkedin and youtube via ipo-vid our most recent show we had a phenomenal episode with jennifer ilkew Ice cresting the derivatives wave with the head of Ice Futures US. Coming up next week, we've got a little bit of numismatism. Colin Formosa, who's a leading figure in the Malta Numismatic Society, he's going to be talking about Maltese, money and more the world over in a history of exciting coinage. Product news this week: NcdeX are going to be relaunching grind nut futures in the near future. ICE are going to be hosting carbon credit auctions for Up Energy, and Britain's going to launch yet another review into attracting more stock market listings. Perhaps the most interesting issue of the week was the scandal around Perth Mint, which is now facing a London bullion body review, that's the LBMA, over their doping of gold. What a weird and wonderful story. Yes, they were still dropping 4.9's quality gold bars, but it seems somehow or other they added a little bit of all their content, including silver, in order to manage to, well, save $150,000 $150,000 a year, perhaps up to 620,000 Australian dollars a year, which is only an infinitesimally tiny fraction of their annual sales. Difficult to understand quite why it was worth the whole effort. In technology news this week, Bloomberg have entered into an agreement to acquire. Broadway, who are a low latency execution management offering optimized for interest rate trading, while SEBI has unveiled its framework for adopting cloud services by stock exchanges. In regulation news this week, SEBI have sought to step up sway over the boards of bourses and clearing corporations, a rather dubious construct, it has to be said, from the seemingly perma micromanaging Indian regulator. At the same time, ESMA are seeking yet more tools to tackle clearing crises, and Chinese financial regulators are facing deep pay cuts after an organisational revamp. And that leaves us only to consider, ladies and gentlemen, that, well, just over a decade ago, last week, the Falkland Islands concluded a historic referendum, the 10th to the 11th of March, 2013. This followed contentious arguments from Argentina, which have been re-emerging in recent years as the Argentine economy continues to disappoint. The turnout in the Falklands referendum was a substantial 92% of the electors, and the result not remotely open to question except it seems subsequently by the perma-malcontents of Buenos Aires and the surrounding nation. The response was a brutal rebuttal of Argentine calls for negotiations on the island's sovereignty, with 99.8% of all votes cast supporting the Falklands remaining a British territory. A total of three votes were recorded against continuing British oversight. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Patrick L. Young, creator of Marketplaces the World Over and publisher of the Exchange Invest daily newsletter, wishing you a great week in blockchain life and markets.